0: being a physician. There was always some roadblock toward freedom in my life. I eventually just wanted to find a way to kind of get out of that rat race of medicine and, and the way medicine has been going, it, both for physicians and, and patients. And my idea was to kind of go back to more of my roots in like tennis, sports medicine, you know, doing stuff in front of a camera. And that that's kind of how I, I found this. I was just really just looking to change my situation you know i just was not happy with the way things were going in my kind of professional career and so that's
1: kind of how i came up with this youtube channel every business whether or not they realize it is an idea business and great ideas can come from anywhere the people at gray have a long history of finding and creating famously effective ideas and so with gray matter we explore the ideas shaping our world we ask creators artists founders, and leaders from different industries about how they came up with their best ideas.
2: And that's Gray Matter. On this episode of Gray Matter, we'll discuss an idea that plays right where the rubber meets the road. Hi, I'm Jason Connor, Global Chief Client Officer at Gray. This week, we're discussing the idea behind the YouTube channel Foot Dr. Zach, a channel dedicated to the latest performance in shoe technology. Gray, New York's chief creative officer, Tiago Cruz, chatted with the creator behind the channel, Dr. Zach Thomas, who is a real foot doctor, about what interested him in studying podiatry, why he chose to review shoes, and what he learned when starting a business on YouTube. Zach's dream of working with athletes and his interest in shoes seemed far-fetched when he was in college at Slippery Rock University, but all the motivation Zach needed to become a doctor came from his grandmother— who encouraged him to start on his path. Since 2020, Zach has run the YouTube channel, Foot Dr. Zach, and has been dissecting sneakers to match the best athletes with the best shoes for their feet. In 2023, Zach's channel reached over 100,000 subscribers, a huge feat for any creator on the platform. He is also in private practice in Columbus, Ohio, where he consults with athletes from little leaguers to professionals. Zach became a doctor of podiatric medicine at Kent State University and has completed residency training and surgical fellowships in Pennsylvania and Texas, as well as studying trauma and reconstruction in Germany. This is Dr. Zach Thomas.
0: You know, I went to school. I went to medical school, podiatry school uh, during the Great Recession, during a time where, you know, my student loans were at like 12, 13, 14 percent. So then there was a residency shortage. So I got over that hump. I got a residency program. I thought, okay, once I get this residency, then I'm, I'm going to get a great job. And, and then, then I'll be set. And so then I get a job. And then I start realizing the, the realities of medicine. And it just really started hitting me that this was not what I was told it was going to be and my situation was not going to change unless i changed it unless i started thinking outside the box of how to be a physician and how to reach people and, and how to do the things that i love i mean i love medicine I, it is one of my you know biggest passions besides you know tennis mm-hmm. uh, and i just wanted to be able to do it and earn an income and so that's why i kind of started thinking, how do I do this? That it doesn't have to be the way I was told I had to do it.
3: Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. So tell us more, how did you get interested in feet specifically? Like when you were going through med school, how did, how did that happen? I assume it has something to do with the Sparks background that you just mentioned that you were interested in tennis. And I guess feet is literally where the rubber missed the road. Right. So tell us a little bit more about that.
0: So I've always been interested in tennis shoes. Like when I was playing tennis in high school, more interested in what the tennis players were wearing on their feet than actually playing. And so that was always a huge interest of mine. And when I got to college, I actually wanted to be a tennis instructor. That was my my goal. I wanted to be a tennis instructor. I wanted to uh, work at different academies and resorts kind of in the Caribbean. And when I got to school in college, my father said, you're not allowed to be a tennis instructor. That was it. He's like, you're not allowed. No, I'm sorry. Uh, and as a grown man who grew up in Pittsburgh in a long line of you know, Lebanese children, I said, okay, I'm going to listen to my dad and not be a tennis instructor. And I got the idea from my grandmother to be a podiatrist. She said, you, know, you could do this. You know, you're, not, you're not stupid. You can do this. And uh, before then, I had just always, you know, I was a terrible student in high school, a horrible student and my biggest dream my biggest goal was to play tennis in college that was like that was how far i had thought ahead and i remember my freshman year in college my grandmother said like you know you you could be a foot like you could train and and learn about this this stuff and you could do it and that was like the first time anyone had ever said that to me that like i could do something and so i just from then on i said okay i'm going to be a foot doctor i mean that day when she said it to me it stuck in my head and then From there, I went three years in college with no other purpose than to get into podiatry school. And then I actually ended up taking my MCAT a year early because a friend of mine was taking it and I was like, oh, I'll just take it too. Not realizing you shouldn't do that. Like You should definitely study for it, prepare, and then take your MCAT. I just flew off the seat of my pants, but since I was so relaxed taking it, I could think clearly. I wasn't like everybody else in there where I was just so tense. I ended up getting a really good score. And so I was able to have my choice to go where I wanted uh, after only three years of college. And so that really opened up doors for me. And I ended up choosing podiatry because I still wanted to do sports medicine, you know, do stuff with shoes. And that's, you know, that's how I got into it, got into podiatry school and the rest is history.
3: That's an amazing story. And I also grew up playing tennis and I still play. So I feel like I want to do a whole episode with you just about this. (laughs) such an amazing story and funny how all these casual conversations lead to these life-changing moments, right? So I'm super curious to see also how you went from that, med school, pediatrics, all that stuff. And how did this idea come to you? Like how does this this new chapter in your life come to you? I had
0: been cutting shoes open for a while, not on YouTube, not on, I even, I had never thought of it to do. I had never thought to put it on camera, but what I would do was for patients, I would cut like a running shoe, a tennis shoe and a basketball shoe and just kind of show the macro changes within a shoe so that when patients came in, I could say like, this is why you need this orthotic or this is why your foot hurts or just, I mean, on a really, just a really basic scale. And during the, uh, before the pandemic, I'd say around 2018, uh, things were really going awful for me uh, you know with f- with work and and my job and kind of everything professionally and this sounds like I'm making it up I'm not. I remember I had one really really awful day and I was walking to my car and I just stopped and I said I, I can't keep doing this walk to my car anymore I, I can't do it. I-, I have to find some way out of this. I have to find a way where you know I'm not in this just hamster wheel. And that's how I lost all my money in cryptocurrency. Thanks for the interview. No, but but, uh, that, so I ended up at first starting to, I started investing in like Bitcoin and stuff. And I said, okay, if I could invest enough, I can invest enough money and get enough money to start a business and something that can be passive for me. Well, over the next couple of years, I just started losing all my money in crypto because it's kept going down and down and down. Until one point I said, I'm not gonna keep doing this anymore. I, I, I can't. And so I said, um, the money that's in here is just going to stay. And, and if it ever recovers, great. If it doesn't, well, I haven't spent enough money to really able to make it to make myself care. Like I wasn't bankrupting us or anything. But during that whole time, when I would want to find out about a different investment in, in the traditional stock market or in the crypto market, I would go on YouTube to search and I saw all these people with these awesome shows and they weren't working. They were on YouTube and they had sponsors and they had affiliate codes, you know, and that's how they made their money. And I remember thinking, who cares about the investment? This is what I want to do this. Like I want to have this ecosystem of my own and control this whole ecosystem. And I want to be the kind of the thought leader. And I said, well, what would I ever do it on? Like, what What would be, I don't even know what, what I would talk about. The only thing I know enough about is is tennis. I said, nobody would want to hear about podiatry on YouTube. Nobody. No one want to hear about anything in that way. So I just put it out of my head. Along comes the pandemic. And I start, and just coincidentally, I started doing tennis videos on YouTube, like instructional videos, which were terrible. I mean, the worst videos you've ever seen go to the basement of that person's house. Those were how bad they were. At the same time, crypto markets were exploding because all these kids were in their house with nothing to do besides invest in cryptocurrency. So my crypto investments just went through the roof. Didn't I didn't even know it. I wasn't even paying attention to it at the time. So I have this nest egg now to start a business. And I was consulting with somebody. I, I, I just did like a consulting thing on one of these YouTube kind of gurus. And he said, well, I'm looking through your Instagram and and I see this picture of these shoes cut up. Why don't you do that? I said, nobody wants to see that. And he said, I'll bet you they do. And so I said, all right, well, let me try it. So I bought one pair of shoes. I cut them open and that video got 10,000 views right off the start. And I said, oh my God, like people want to hear about it. But what was interesting was, is people didn't care so much about me cutting the shoe open, they were interested in what was inside for sure. But they were more interested in what I thought, how much performance you could extract out of that shoe by matching the shoe with your foot type. And what is the best person for the shoe? And if you have a bunion, or if you have, you know, really bad tendonitis or an Achilles problem, this shoe isn't good for you, but it might be good for somebody else. And that's what people wanted to hear about. So it was the podiatry part of it, the foot doctor part of it that people really wanted to to know about which was kind of a shock to me because I thought that just wasn't going to happen. So I took all the money that I made in crypto, which wasn't I mean all that much, right? But it was enough to start a business. I took all that money, bought a camera, bought, you know, the lights and I bought enough shoes to do like 6 months worth of videos. And at the end of that 6 months, the channel was almost like becoming self-sustaining. At the end of that, I said to my wife, you know, do you think I could I could do this? And she said, well, for 2021, make it your goal that you actually are making money, that there's money coming in. I said, okay. And in 2021, I had a profit of like, I'm not joking, like 30 bucks. All of my money from crypto was gone, but I had made $30. And in 2022, she said, make enough to where it could be a part-time income. That's your goal. All right. 2022 came, I two and a half X'd my goal in terms of subscribers, in terms of like revenue for the channel. And so then in 2023, well, we were moving and leaving our jobs anyway. And I said, okay, my goal in 2023 is to make the YouTube channel the primary revenue driver of our family. Uh, you know, I'm also, you know, like I said, I'm going to be practicing as a physician. That's just kind of what I do, It's what I want to do. Uh, but my whole goal is, is that this channel becomes kind of like its own engine and that this becomes a primary business. That, and then, like I said, I started just with tennis when I kind of reached saturation, went to basketball. Now I'm into running and, and other things. So it just, the, the channel, just, I'm just trying to make it bigger and bigger and bigger. And, you know, hopefully I can hire people in the future and, you know, that stuff kind of make it bigger. So that's kind of where that is, long story long.
3: Fascinating, man. Thank you for sharing. Um, Tell us more about all your sources of inspiration. Like you mentioned, for example, that you were already cutting shoes for your patients. So I assume there Mm -hmm. was something about the way they reacted to that that you kind of kept and it's, you know, it was gratifying to you too. And you mentioned all the videos that you saw that you didn't like that I assume you learned a lot about the kind of things that you didn't want to do. But were there any other sources of inspiration out there that kind of helped you not just come up with the idea, but also with the format and how you wanted
0: that idea to take shape? So I had never watched a shoe review on YouTube prior to me uploading my first video. I had never seen somebody review a shoe. And I'm glad I didn't because it was... When you watch my reviews, I'm not saying they're better or worse than the people because there's some really good people out there, but they are definitely different. It's not... It is not a hype beast type channel. I don't care about colorways. I don't, you know... I could care less about, you know, this signature that's on the shoe or what this represents or whatever. Mine is all about performance, 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 performance. And I've always thought of myself as a tech channel, not a sneaker channel, not a sports channel. And so, like, I always watch channels like MKBHD in the tech space, Jerry Rig everything in the tech space, like Sarah Deechee. Like, those people are um, Gerald Undone, Tom Buck. Those are all people in, in the tech space that had really unique takes on tech. And they tested tech in unique and interesting ways. And I got a lot of my ideas for shoes just by saying, okay, how would I how would I test this in if I had to go write a, a paper on this? Because I was super into clinical research when I was, I think I published 13 papers when I was a resident in, 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 journals. And so I was super into research and I still like it a lot. So I was really into that aspect. I said, okay, if I were going to design a test around these shoes, like someone like Marquez Brownlee does it, or, you know, some of these other people, how would I do that? And, and how could I get it in like the journal of foot and ankle surgery or the journal of sports medicine? And that's where I started. And so I said, okay, well, these guys are testing like push off force with a spring all right, well, I can't do that in a shoe. Or like, these guys are using an accelerometer. Well, I can't do that, but I could do, like I could run in the shoe and I could show my time because I'm, you know, I'm the variable. So if it stays on my foot, things aren't going to change. And then I actually consulted with a physics professor friend of mine, who's uh, one of my best friends, Andrew Neff, his wife, Kristen Neff. Her and I went for about an hour to an hour and a half just painstakingly, trying to figure out how to test shoes in the most you know, accurate way possible. And she had like her high school physics textbook out. I had a bunch of like journal articles, you know, from um, from like stuff that I had seen that I wanted to kind of recreate, but I didn't have a lab, so I couldn't. And we kind of just forced it into this channel. And that's a lot of the tests you see on here, like the breathability test I do with a heat gun or the Dremel where, where I, where I grind up the shoes uh, rubber, or the jump height test or the ball bearing test. These are all tests that kind of were born of academia, and me just trying to kind of fit a, you know, a square peg into a round hole. And people like it, because even if it isn't done in a vacuum in a lab, people still want to see, well, this shoe last week got this, what's this shoe going to do? And what does that mean for it? And, and that's, and and I've been accused of copying some of these ideas by different people in different niches. Whereas, you know, like one bit of inspiration will have been taken. And I guess, you know, we thought of the same thing. And so I mean, there's, there's not too many original ideas out there. And but I'll get people to say, Oh, you stole this idea for me? I'm thinking, I've never heard of this person before in my life. But there's only so many ways to test a shoe. So you kind of have to put your own spin on it. And I think that's what I've been able to do pretty well is, is make it pretty original that where no one else is kind of doing what I'm doing with the shoe and, and extracting the data I'm getting out of it. And I think that's why I've been able to be a little bit more successful in this uh, versus maybe some others. So,
3: Super cool. You already mentioned some of the initial supporters that you had in your life from your family, your wife and all that. But we're also curious to hear about the initial criticism that you got? Like, were there any anybody trying to dissuade you from
0: this idea in the beginning? And if so, what did they say? I wouldn't say there was anybody that was trying to dissuade me. Well, I'll put it this way. There are a lot of people that try to dissuade me now. Uh, I get called a hack every day. I mean, because I use the shoes, I, I go and try to test them on my own feet. And I'm a good tennis player, right? I taught in college, you know, I, I played, I was, you know, I played in college, I taught professionally. So, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I look decent on a tennis court, on a basketball court, I look like, you know, a drunk seven year old. And so I know what I'm doing. I'm testing the shoe, I can still get the data I need, and I can still get the characteristic shoe I need. But I'm a terrible basketball player. So people are always telling me, you know, you can't do these reviews because you don't play basketball. You know, you're short, You're fat, ugly, whatever. But on those same videos, you know, they got 2.2 million views on them. So someone has to be enjoying them. Uh, And I'd say earlier in my career, you know, there were no detractors, but definitely when I told people I wanted to start making, you know, videos about shoes on YouTube, you know, you get a lot of like, you know, cross eyes looking at you. I remember my dad and I were playing tennis and one of the first times I'd ever recorded myself, he goes, okay, so what are you going to do? And I said, okay, so I'm going to test out shoes from the perspective of a foot doctor for people that play court sports. And he says, how many of those people are out there that could really be interested in that? And, and it got me thinking, like, I I don't know. And that took me a while to kind of get over. Like, is there that many people out there? And I'd always think, like, yeah, maybe not. And I was almost ready to quit the channel in November of 2021. I was ready to quit right, like right before Thanksgiving, and I was trying everything. And the channel was just kind of growing incrementally. It wasn't making money. I was, you know, losing money on shoes. If, you know, in 2021, I was losing money on this channel, and I, I couldn't do that because I was spending so much time away from my wife, my kid. Uh, I felt awful about kind of ditching them because I kept telling my wife, like, if I can get this this can kind of give us the kind of freedom that we want to live the life we want. And it was basically making her live a nightmare, raising a kid on her own while I'm off either working during the day on my job, or trying to pump out two, three videos a week, between the hours of nine and one in the morning. So I'm miserable all day. And I, I, I still remember we were in Jackson Hole. And I woke up And I had just released a video that I thought was gonna do really well. And it was the, it was 10 out of 10, which means it was the worst video I had done out of those last 10 videos. I ended up deleting the YouTube app from my phone, like the studio app that showed my analytics. I was like, I can't look at this, this is just, now I'm just done, you know, I'll, I'll figure something else out. You know, maybe I'll go buy a chain of Chili's restaurants or something. And then I looked at it again, like two days later and the video exploded. And the next one I did, it exploded. And this was all going on around the holidays of 2021. I go visit my buddy, Joey. And while I was there, I was just looking at the the YouTube chart showing him and him and I are looking and seeing like, this can't be happening. I went from like 10,000 subscribers to 20,000 in a couple of days. And that's kind of when everybody that I wouldn't say detracted me, but people that just kind of like said, look like, are you sure? And then all of a sudden I started getting the questions, well, how did you do that? Can I get into it? How do you, how do you make money? And all of a sudden everyone that's kind of dubious of it now wants to know how they can do it. Yeah. I would say it was more from like the professional community that I was in of like doctors, like those are the ones that kind of rolled their eyes. And now I've, I've kind of looked and I see a lot of them trying to do, you know, similar things. And it's a little bit ironic now.
3: Super interesting, man. So Tell us more about that moment where you actually realized that oh wait a minute maybe this can actually be something. I mean how how does that feel? Like how does it feel to be to go from I'm not sure to
0: actually I'm going to double down on this. It it went from it went from such extremes. It went from I'm probably not going to do this anymore. It was a good learning experience and I'm going to take that to do something else. And it went from that to I need to buy as many shoes as I can now, and I need to double down on this now. And I remember it was like a feeling of euphoria because I mean, I'm sure everyone has it in their life where they see somebody else get something and they think, well, that's for them. I'm never gonna get that. Yeah, that's great, like that's good, but that stuff always happens to other people, but not me. And it was happening to me. And it's just this feeling of euphoria and then right after that feeling of euphoria it's dread because you start getting imposter syndrome you start thinking okay i'm growing too fast i don't know how to control this like i'm getting so many people making you know giving me comments talking about me you know, my name is being brought up in circles and you just you know privacy is nice you know people take privacy for granted and people take being anonymous for granted. And all of a sudden when your name's being thrown around, all these message boards on the internet, I was looking something up on a website I wanted to buy tennis clothes. Like I saw a message board. It's like, oh, let me just see if the size fits right. And all of a sudden I'm looking on this message board and there's my name all the way down. You know, I just, I I found myself. And that's when it really got, like I, I have something here. How do I number one, make it sustainable and keep myself enjoying it and how do I, you know, hopefully make a living off of this? And that's, so I'm still, you know, I'm still trying to figure it out.
3: It's fascinating. Uh, changing gears a little bit. Tell us more about the name. Is there a story behind it? Um, yeah. Did, did you explore other options? Did you always want to go with, you know, the, your, did you always want to embrace your background as a physician? Like, tell us more.
0: No, I didn't want to have anything to do with that tree or anything. So the original title of my channel was Tennis Pro Doc. And that was brainstormed out of thin air on a flight back from Lake Tahoe where my wife and I were lecturing at a conference. It was a play on this other guy who had a business. He's in California. And his website is Doc on the Run. And if you're in San Francisco or California, he is awesome. He's a podiatrist that specializes only in like runners, marathoners, ultra marathoners, triathletes. That's pretty much all he does. And I was so inspired by him. And that's kind of like was the original idea that I wanted to do. I wanted to start my own consulting business for tennis players like he did for runners. And so my wife said, well, he's like Doc on the Run. Why don't you be like tennis pro Doc? And so that was my name at first, was Tennis Pro Doc. And if you look in some of my videos, I have a hoodie on that my college tennis coach gave me that says Tennis Pro Doc on the back of it. And I had stickers made and it was like a foot and the big toe was a tennis ball. And I had that for probably like a year. And then um, I met this guy named Daniel Batal. He's a video editing coach. And I was trying to figure out ways to edit my videos better, faster, more efficiently, so I could pop more content out. And he goes, you know, tennis pro doc doesn't mean anything. You know that, right? Like, no one knows what that means. He goes, you're a foot doctor who cuts open shoes. He goes, figure something out with that. Like, no one knows what tennis pro doc means. He's basically said, like, that's stupid. I said, all right, well, I liked it. <laughs> and uh, so I said, well, what is the simplest thing I could tell that people know that I'm a foot doctor on YouTube? And I looked at my wife and I said, what about just foot doctor Zach? She was like, well, that sounds kind of boring. I was like, yeah. I was like, but it's simple. It's clear. And clear always beats clever. And she goes, yeah, all right, foot Dr. Zach. So now I'm foot Dr. Zach. That's
3: great advice. Were there any failures in the process of either the creation process of this idea or the execution process? Tell us more about that. And what did you have to do to overcome some of those?
0: So the first failure was pigeonholing myself in a very small thing. They always say niche down, like you always should niche down to to talk to the same audience all the time. I was too micro niche, right? Tennis players and tennis footwear is about the smallest niche you could possibly get into. I mean, it's on the quantum level. I had to try to make a pivot on my channel to where I was talking to just athletes or like sneaker enthusiasts, shoe enthusiasts, right? Technology enthusiasts. And so how I did that was I started doing a series where I started building custom shoes. And those videos didn't do all that well in terms of views, but they did enough to pivot my channel to when I started reviewing other types of shoes, that audience was there. And so I could start pivoting to different shoes and I could start Showing people that just because I'm not reviewing a shoe that you're directly interested in, you'll probably learn something about it so that when you see a shoe that maybe you want to buy that has the same technology or the same shape or just the same concept, you'll know like, yeah, this is for me or that's not. And I've also gotten people to realize that you can use one shoe for multiple sports. And there's like, you know, and I always throw like these little Easter eggs in my videos, like, here's how you stop your heel from slipping out of a shoe. And then, you know, People have to go and find that in different videos. So then they start, maybe a tennis player starts watching basketball videos and realize, hey, it's actually pretty cool. And so that's that was a huge I said the biggest failure was just niching down too much. The next failure I had was talking so fast in my videos because I was trying to memorize all my lines right away and not just doing bullet points and trying to get so much data out in my mouth that I sounded like a crazy person. And that was the second one where for about a year I was talking so fast in my videos. I didn't realize it because you know when you're watching it you don't really get it but as I became more comfortable talking and I wasn't trying to memorize three lines of a script and turn the camera on camera off camera on camera off that was the thing and that really held me back if you look at some of my earliest videos my, my head's bobbing toward the camera all the time I'm trying to get these words out so quick you know I had so many great opportunities during that time I had some shoes out that no one else had. I had Serena Williams' own shoe that she used to practice and to play matches in and I cut it open. I had this golden opportunity that no one else had this shoe available and I sounded like a nut in the video and so it just completely bombed and I wasted all this money and and time for a year. I forget who was telling me. They said, you know, maybe just don't, don't try to memorize a script. Just look at the camera and just what would you tell a patient about this shoe and so in every video now i think okay if someone came to me in my office and said i want to buy this shoe tell me about it that's how i now review a shoe And that's how i talk to camera probably about every three four months to me the i failed the world's caving in um i you know i, I lost the you know a potential sponsorship someone ghosts me or you know, a video doesn't do as well as I should. And I think, oh, that's it. It, it. It's going down. So in entrepreneurship, there's really never a comfortable moment. And especially when on YouTube, things are so personal because it's you on that camera and people are judging you directly that, you know, a lot of little things start to seem like big failures. And when there, when you look back, you think like, oh, it's nothing. So now I just, I still talk super fast. Now I'm, I'm much more authentically myself.
3: Amazing. So
0: let's pivot from failures to success. You mentioned the moment
3: where you felt like you had to go out and buy every single shoe and have material for your show. Like, what happens when, you know, the first time that somebody reached out to you, if a brand or a person and wanted to send you material, like, uh, reached out to you and wanted to send you a shoe for you to reveal? How does that feel? And does that also require a shift in your mindset and how you approach
0: things? Yeah. So there are, you know, there's a lot of, great things that come with this. You know, it, some stuff is a little more shady than others when when people are trying to integrate you with their product, I should say. So the first company that ever wanted to send me anything was New Balance. Uh, New Balance Tennis, I should say specifically, not basketball, or New Balance Tennis, because they're all those departments are different. And I thought I was the coolest human being on the planet, because right after that, a co- an Italian company called Lotto wanted to send me a shoe. And those companies were great to work with, because all they wanted was just here's the shoe. If you review it, great. If you don't, fine. And I just thought, I, at that point, I thought, okay, I'd made it. And then some other companies that you know were I'm not going to you know name obviously, but you know a lot of companies will start wanting to send you things and really expect a lot in return. Basically, expect you to be an arm of their advertising wing. It, no shoe companies that I've I've dealt with are like that, but some like, you know, uh, ancillary type product companies. And so now I am very selective of who sends me anything. I reject 99% of the stuff that people want to send me. The only stuff I'll have sent now are shoes, Uh, not even socks, not even orthotics anymore. Just because people expect you to be so flattered that you get something that uh, number one, the review comes out three days later. It's a super positive review and it gets 400,000 views. That's just not realistic. So now, unless it's a, a channel sponsor that I work with, like I've, I'll vet these companies to where they're, I, I know that they're going to be rational to work with, that they are going to hold up their ends of a bargain, that they don't just see me as kind of like a free advertising arm of their company. And, uh, and, and that's who I go with. But yeah, the first time you get a sponsorship opportunity too, I mean, that's the real big leagues where you think, Oh my God, someone's paid me to talk about their product. And, and that, that was really something I remember just being like, just thinking, Oh my God, like this It was like a 32nd ad on my channel. And someone was paying for that. And that's when I really had thought I had made it. That's when I really thought, like, okay, I've, I've made something out of this channel, this has been some sort of success. Uh, and I believe that was Bombus that was the first uh, company to take a chance on the channel. And it ended up being this great relationship over the last year uh, that was, you know, really bore a lot of fruit for both of us. So, yeah.
3: And even after all that, do you still have those moments where you think about throwing in the towel? And how do you deal with that?
0: Um, no, not anymore, because I know what it's like to really have issues with work and to just have that existential dread and fear of like your everyday life and this is like paradise compared to that yeah i mean there are bad days i get burned out of making videos sometimes for sure i mean editing the same type of video over and over and over again yeah it gets gets monotonous. but I, i don't see me ever quitting this you know, I I see a lot of videos about YouTubers and burnout and how, you know, they're quitting from burnout. But from where I kind of came from to finding this career, I I am so grateful for this. I I don't maybe in a year or two that changes. I don't know. But there is no better feeling than when you're succeeding at something this like intimate and personal. And most people on YouTube, you see like, it's hard to quit. It's very hard to quit this. It's, It's very addicting. Once you found a community and once you found, you know, kind of like your people.
3: Amazing. And it's great that to see that you not only found a community, but you actually helped create this community because it, it feels like you're doing something very unique in that space. What was some of the best advice that you got along the way? Did it come from professionals, from coaches and from courses, or did it just come from regular people? How do, how do you feel about it?
0: Yeah, I think the biggest, the biggest piece of advice I got was to not run away from who I was. Like I was... You know, I was trying to, I don't know who I don't know I was trying to be. I was, I, I was like trying to be a crypto bro, but in the tennis space, it was real weird. I mean, I, I don't know. I was, that was a, the other thing that, that kind of got me was, is I kept saying to myself, like, I want to make what I want to make and, and I want to do what I want to do. And I want this to be, you know, this expression of myself. And sometimes that's just not practical. Like you just have to do what's, you know, what people want, what people want to see. So. Um, it was, it was kind of finding the balance between what my audience wanted and what I wanted to do. And, and like I said, these things are subtle. Like I said, it's, it's maybe not reading from a script the whole time, but just letting yourself riff a little bit and letting people kind of get into your personality a little bit, a little bit in each video. And I know nowadays, especially if you look in the YouTube space and and just the social media space in general, everybody talks about storytelling and telling a good story. And in my content, that doesn't really work. People want information. They want it quick. They want to know if I should buy this shoe right now. What if that size is not available in 10 minutes, right? They don't want to hear about, you know, oh, and like, you know, the summer of, you know, 2003, my high school girlfriend broke up with me and my best friend from high school, they didn't care because he had to get to one of his play practices, right? No one cares about that. But what I did with my content was, is my whole channel is like a story. Throughout a whole year, every shoe that comes out, like it's kind of the story of that year's sneaker releases and what they all did and kind of how they all fit into the kind of smorgasbord of of that year. So I think it was trying to find a way to tell stories without boring people and without rambling on and on like I am right now. And and so, yeah, I think that was probably the the way that I kind of pivoted, you know, whereas trying, balancing getting information out and getting good information out with, with, with keeping people entertained. It's, it, it's hard. And it's different for every channel. That's why it's kind of hard to articulate, um, you know, kind of what the mindset shift is. But once you've, once you've made enough videos, you start to see it, you know,
3: Amazing. So, and so what's next for you? How do you see your idea evolving in the future? and What's what's in the horizon for you and for, for your channel?
0: Well, my ultimate goal was always to start designing shoes you know, to have my kind of signature on one of my favorite tennis players feet, right? That's was like the ultimate goal. I would like to start getting into like the product side of things. Like I I do have a bunch of ideas for sneaker accessories, sneakers in general. And I want to, you know, kind of realize the original idea that I had, which was, you know, I do want to be just a, you know, foot doctor to, Athletes, professional tennis players, professional basketball players. Uh, so I, I you know, I would like to make kind of the Foot Doctors Act universe kind of, you know, an IRL type universe. So, yeah, just kind of bringing this channel into kind of the real world would be nice. Speaking as a tennis fan, I feel like Rafa Nadal could use some of your help in that space to fix that feat of him. <laughs> yeah, he's got, I mean, the fact that he's even able to walk, let alone win grand slams, is it's incredible. So, Zach, you mentioned
3: that you wanted to design shoes. Like, did you ever have any opportunity to actually do that?
0: Uh, yeah. So, I got invited to a launch party for a TV show that Will I Am and Just Blaze were producing in LA, and I get this email out of the blue saying, "Will I Am wants you to come to this party in Los Angeles," and it's like in a week. And I'm thinking this has got to be a hoax. And, and it wasn't. And so I get this, like a, an e card on my phone that gets me into this event. And I thought, okay, I don't own any shoes. Like all my shoes are cut in half. I don't own any. And this is a, this is a launch party for a show about sneakers. I run a YouTube channel about shoes and I don't own any. So I got to go find like this. You know, I got to find a pair that's like really cool. And I go and look and all the ones that I wouldn't, I didn't think i get made fun of for, I couldn't get for like a couple of weeks, right? Like, cause had to to be authenticated. Then, then they come, then they come. And this thing was in a week, less than a week now. Cause I'd really, I only realized that I needed them a couple of days. So I looked and I had one pair of Jordan one mids that I had bought. Cause I was going to cut them open for another video and i said all right jordan 1 mids are like the laughing stock of the sneaker community people always make fun of people wearing jordan 1 mids don't ask me why i don't know no clue why so i said all right i'll 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 wear these but i will put a full length zoom area. i'll i'll custom make them i'll take them apart and i'll put a full length zoom air unit in them because i had two zoom units uh, which are like these little air pillows from two pairs of nike's that i had taken apart that I was going to do another project on. So I had these zoom air units, I had these shoes. So I made this quick video together where I took out the uppers of the shoes. I slid these air units in there, put them back together, sewed them back and had this custom zoom air Jordan one that I wore to this party. Nobody asked me about them. Nobody cared. I it was in a dark room. I don't think anybody looked twice at them. However, I get back and I do the videos on them, and now that video has I think like six hundred thousand views from doing it. And people like people want me to sell them these shoes. Other people, of course, in the comments section, why would you do that with mids? Mids are trash. So that was like kind of the one where like, I actually like put my money where my mouth was. Right, like I made the shoe, then I went and wore it to this party, and it was funny because now like you know people see that that were at that party that see the videos of me wearing them, like oh like you should have said something you were in them. I was just so afraid that they looked bad. I didn't want anyone to like look down And so I made the video. Like I could kind of control like what people saw of the shoes uh, in the video, but I ended up showing the whole thing anyway, like all my mess ups and everything anyway. But uh, yeah, that was the one time I actually really like had, like I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to do this. And then I actually like, you know, went and designed a shoe. So
3: I watched a lot of your videos. I didn't notice that you always use the same tool to cut your shoes in half. Right. You always cut it with a, with a box cutter. I guess my question is twofold. Number one, did you ever cut yourself in the process? Yes. Okay. Yes. I've That's cut myself <laughs>
0: more times. I've cut myself more times I can count. It's never bad. It's always, I'll, I'll cut the shoe and then it's when I come back up, when I'm trying to get the knife out of the shoe. I always cut myself with the dull end of the blade on the top. So it's always this weird paper cut and you can see it on my index finger. It's the same spot. I swear I'm going to, I'm not going to be able to move this finger at some point because it's always, when I'm trying to get the knife out of my cutting board or out of my shoe. And I lift it up and that's when I cut myself. I've never cut myself going down. It's always up. That's
3: awesome. And I guess the second part of my question is, did you ever consider using other potentially safer tools?
0: Yeah. So like most things on my channel, I get most, a lot of my ideas for things to do on the channel from from like crowdsourcing, I ask my community, like, what would you like to see me do? And a lot of them say like, you should use a bandsaw. But people like to see me struggle cutting the shoe open. Like that's part of it. People like to watch me try to cut with a with a what $8 box cutter from Lowe's, cutting through thick carbon fiber. Like it's entertaining to watch somebody struggle with that. And so that's why I keep doing it, because people like kind of the plus like the ASMR of it, then like this type of knife scraping across plastic or scraping across carbon fiber or or thermopolypropylene. So um, no, I probably won't change just because now it's become such a part of my channel, like that I get frustrated at the end of cutting it and I throw my knife on the table. Even if I'm not even, it took me 10 seconds, I still do it. Cause that's like kind of the shtick now that, you know, like I'm so annoyed trying to get the shoe open and I just throw my knife down. But yeah, I, I've gotten a lot of people, cause I think in like the luxury shoe space, that's how they cut like when they're like building like custom leather shoes and things i think they use like a like a, a big machine with its big band saw but i think it kind of takes a lot of the drama out of it like how hard was it for me to cut through it you know how how close did i get to cutting my thumb off
2: uh
3: so last but not least what would you say to somebody like you that maybe has an idea that
0: they're interested in and but maybe they don't know where to start just start right? Your first videos are going to be terrible. I would say if you're going to first start out, go back, zoom all the way down on the first videos on my channel and go watch those. And if you can't beat that, there's something wrong with you. Like it's, you just have to get over starting is is the hardest part, right? Because people will always find a way not to start. My lighting isn't good enough. I don't have a mirrorless camera. I don't have a DM, You know, I don't have the right microphone. You know, my editing software sucks. There's a million and one ways. Other people do it better than me. There's a million and one reasons to procrastinate into not wanting to do something. And I, one of the, who was it? I think it was Roberto Blake. There's a great follow for anybody in the creator economy who said people daydream about the result of something. They don't daydream about the process of it. You need to get excited about the process of making things and the process of solopreneurship, not daydream about the day that, yeah, you have a really nice house and your wife is real happy with you and your kids well behaved. And, you know, you're driving around with a Maserati. You have to daydream about the, the process, the struggle, figuring things out, engineering it, you know, bootstrapping yourself. And because that's what event like that's what got me excited was the process, and I think that's why I've been able to kind of get over that hump and kind of you know get the silver play button back there. It's just that I have more patience than other people. Like I'll just keep doing it and doing it and failing and failing and trying a concept that doesn't work. We're gonna try another one, and so start planting seeds because you know it'll come. It's just you need a lot of patience. People think that. Like you're an overnight success. Most overnight successes are five, ten years of struggle, and then it's the overnight success. So you just have to be comfortable sucking for a long time, and eventually, you don't. And it's it's almost like when, when I asked my dad, I said, "What's it like when you like when I was a kid?" He's like, "What's it like when you become an adult?" He says, "One day you just kind of realize like I'm an adult now," and and that's like was me like all of a sudden one day I'm like I'm a YouTuber now like I. I make YouTube videos and they don't, they aren't bad. Like how, like how'd this happen? They're not bad anymore. And I mean, they're still kind of bad, but they're not, you know, not that they used to be. And so you just gotta start down the path. If you don't, you're gonna regret it. Cause remember the time, I, this is this was one of Roberto's quotes. too. He's like, the time's gonna pass anyway. So you might as well be working on it, right? You know, in, in two years, you can be saying like, oh, I wish I would've started. Whereas, you know, in two years they like, hey, I either learned a lot Or hey, I'm successful at
2: this time. Wow. Zach is so interesting. Tiago, as a tennis sneaker fan yourself, do you find Zach's videos informative? Very like it's definitely not the typical thing
3: that I used to think about when I was buying for you know, when I was playing tennis and buying my shoes and even regular sneakers, I wouldn't necessarily think about the science behind it, but now I can't unsee it anymore. Tell us how our listeners can learn more about Zach. That's easy. You can visit his YouTube channel and check out the videos yourself. And as most of the YouTubers say, be sure to like and subscribe. His channel is called Food Dr. Zach. That's doctor spelled out and Zach with a C-H. And if you want more shoot content from Zach, he's on Instagram at foot underscore doctor underscore
2: Zach. And he's on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. That's awesome. Thanks, Tiago. Well, and that does it for us this week. This week, the podcast team and I would like to thank Kristen and Alex Thomas. If you'd like to hear more creators, founders, and inventors discuss how they scribbled an idea on the back of a napkin, then check out all past podcasts in this feed. Reach out to us with questions and comments on Gray's social channels or our email address podcasts at gray.com. And lastly, tell someone about our show. It helps us share ideas with the world. I'm Jason Connor and thanks for listening to Gray Matter, a podcast about ideas. Gray Matter is hosted by Jason Connor, produced by
1: Samantha Geller and Samantha Alvarado, mixed by Guy Rosemarin and Amanda Fuentes at Gramercy Park Studios, with post-production support from Ned Martin, Robin Frank, and Kyle St. Agath, marketing and administrative support by Christina Hyde, Adrian Hopkins. Marcella Basilar, Kevin McManus, and Gina Cuneo. Editor and executive producer, Joey Garillo. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.